our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe. We want you to rule over our minds and our hearts and our lives now and throughout our lives and throughout eternity. As we open your word, speak to us directly from heaven. In Yeshua's holy name, amen. They will be covering uh, Uzziah, King Uzziah, King of Judah, part two. We discussed a little bit of his life last week. This is in 2 Chronicles 26 and 2, Chronicles, or 2 Kings chapter 15. And we see where he falls in the time spectrum. Uh, we learned last week he reigned for 52 years. And he reigned during the time of uh, oh, about five or so kings. Uh, at the same time, parallel time as about five or so of the kings in, in the north, in Israel. And during the time of some of the prophets as well. Second Kings 15, verse 1, and this is now just review. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel in the north, Uzziah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Holiah of Jerusalem. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understandings in the visions of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And so we saw some of that prosperity. We saw with some of the things that God did through him. And he listened to the prophets, uh, in particular the Zechariah prophet uh, that he relied on. God uh, gave him wisdom regarding he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he did it, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And those are some key words there. As long as he did that, he prospered. And the same for us. As long as we seek the Lord, as long as we do what is right in the sight of the Lord, we shall prosper under his hand. Now, that prosperity is not necessarily in silver and gold, but God will prosper each one of us according to his will in our lives. Uh, some it's health, some it's not health. But his prosperity will be upon our lives as we seek the Lord and by God's grace do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And we see that. Isaiah, Uzziah, 52 years, reigned as king. And so God gave him longevity. There were very few kings that reigned that long. Most, very most, uh, did not come anywhere near that. His name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. And we saw some of the ways that he was helped. God gave him wisdom and to organize the nation, and they defeated many enemies, and they, they built up walls and towers and strengthened the nation in many ways. They received tribute from other nations. And so financially and militarily, and, and uh, they had uh, provided food for the people, and had farms, and uh, just it was a prosperous, prosperous time in Israel, and for a good span of time. Plus his father, as we read, was basically good, and so Israel had a double, you know, king to king. And, and one of the things that we read was that uh, he had men that invented, it said invented, engines, it said, to put on the walls to shoot stones and arrows. Now, one of the people in Newport Ritchie did a little research on that, and the farthest back that he could see anyone claiming any fame or any use of catapults goes back to the Greeks. 
and Uzziah is long before that. And so where it said they invented these engines, they could have very well been the inventors of the concept of the catapult. So God blessed them again with wisdom and innovation, uh, and, and, and people were working, and there was levels of authority and, and teamwork together. He was marvelously helped, the Bible says. Marvelously. Until he was strong. So again, another kind of indication word, as long as and until. It's kind of a, a finite, fi kind of finite words or finite terms that, that it lasted, is marvelously being helped, his prosperity lasted until a certain thing happened, until a certain point in time, as long as, until he, as long as he sought the Lord, so until he stopped seeking the Lord, until he was strong. He prospered as long as he was weak in his own eyes. And his problem was he became strong. That's a big problem. Becoming strong can be a real problem. And yet, in our world today, that's what everyone seeks and strives for, is to become strong, whether healthy, strong, or financially stable, financially strong, you know, um, like uh, the guy is in the he's in the ambulance, and uh, and 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 the the, uh, the uh, EMT says to him, uh, "Are you comfortable?" And he says, "Well, I make a pretty good living." <laughs> you know, <laughs> we want to be comfortable. We want to be prosperous. We want to be financially strong. You know, we want to have strong accounts, bank accounts, strong uh, reserve for retirement. You know, we want to have. Uh, strong friendships and fr strong bonds and strong families. And we want to be uh, emotionally strong and emotionally healthy and mentally healthy. Right? Weak is not a very good word. Weak is not a, you know, a word that we emulate in our society. But biblically, the Bible says when we are weak, that is when we are strong. And society today kind of equates meek with weak. But that's not a Bible definition of, of meek. Meek is not weak in the Bible in, in the full sense of that word. Um, in a sense it is, and I'll get into that in a second. But we often equate that. But the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man on earth. And he was no wimp at all. He was not weak at all. He went before the Pharaoh who at that time was really the, you know, the power of the universe. Egypt, or the power of the, Egypt was the power of the world, certainly of that region. And easily, without God's intervention, would have had Moses just killed. And it wasn't just one time he went, he went time and time and time and again. And he didn't just go uninvited, he went uninvited and demanding stuff of the Pharaoh that the Pharaoh did not want to do. That was no weakness at all. That was no coward at all. Moses was not a wimp at all. We saw he killed a man with his bare hands one time, and, and he chased off some, some men at a well one time. He was not weak at all. He was strong physically, but he was meek. Biblical definition of meek, Moses was the meekest man. Biblical definition of meek is humble before God dependent upon God. 
100% dependent upon God, thus weak before God. And when we are weak before God and we are dependent upon God for all of our strength, for all of our wisdom, for all of our knowledge, for all of our understanding, for all of our abilities, for all of our talents, and we totally depend on him, and he is the source, that's what makes us strong. That's what makes us wise. That's what gives us the talents. It's coming from God. But we get to the point where we think we're pretty strong. We don't need to rely on God too much anymore. We don't need to trust in his power anymore. We've got it down. We've got the pattern down. We figured it out. We know how to do it now. We've become pretty wise. We've become pretty strong in our own strength. We've done this long enough. He can be our co-pilot. Hey, right? have you ever seen the you know, bumper sticker or something like that? It says, well, there's one that says, God is my co-pilot, right? And then there's others that say, if God is your co-pilot, switch seats, right? You don't want God as your co-pilot. You don't want him as your helper, that you're in charge and he's just helping you. You know, don't pray, God, help me. That again puts you in charge and he's just your helper. He's just your assistant. That's not a position God likes to take. He doesn't play second fiddle to anyone. He is the pilot. He is in charge. And he uses us and he tells us what to do. So when we think we're strong enough, God, you've trained me enough now. I can do this now. I'm okay. Watch, no hands. That's when we fall. Pride cometh before the fall. And so when he gets strong, not just militarily, not just economically, not just uh, number-wise with his army and his kingdom and his people and, and those serving him and serving in the nation, but strong in his mind, that he thought he was strong. And we'll see how, that, how long that strength holds up. When we think we're strong, doesn't last. Verse 16, the very next verse. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. So he doesn't get to the point where he becomes a denier of God. He doesn't get to the point where he's a rejecter of God. He doesn't say, well, hey, I am so intelligent. I've got this all figured out, and uh, I don't need God anymore. He is going into the temple. That's again, he's not denying God. He's going in, and where the altar of incense is, and where prayers are being offered. And so he's going before God to even pray, and to offer altar, uh, incense on the altar to God. Well, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, we could say he had right motives, but his heart was lifted up. And he thought he could do more than was his calling. And so he goes to burn the incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the Kohen 
went in after him with 80 Kohanim of the Lord that were valiant men, and they withstood Uzziah the king and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Now this is a brave Kohanim. Kohanim Gadol, Azariah, and his name is mentioned, and that's and not everybody that does something in the Bible gets their name mentioned. He gets his name mentioned. And these 80 other Kohanim with him that the Bible specifically says were valiant men. Now the Kohanim weren't known for taking swords and going into battle and, you know, fighting as valiant men, you know, David's mighty men of valor, you know. It's not calling them valiant men here because they were warriors. They were valiant men because they were brave to stand up to the king when the king was wrong. That took chutzpah. That took guts. That took moral strength. That took meekness. True meekness. Weak before God, dependent on God, not dependent on some earthly king not fearful of even a king who easily could have called for his army to come in and behead them all. King Saul did that. Not behead them, but kill them all. Could easily have come in and, and done, you know, wiped them out. But they stood bravely. And then they spoke up and said, King, this is not for you to do. This is only for the sons of Aaron to do. And so even the king has his limits. And each of us have a role, each of us have a part to play. God has a calling upon each one of us. God has given each one of us gifts and talents. God has a field for us to work, field for us to labor for him, a service for him to do. And as we use the gifts and talents he has given us, dependent upon him, he then will multiply them and, and give us more to him who is given much and uses the much, more will be given to him. To those who don't use what they have, what they have will be taken away. But we're not to play the role that God hasn't called us to. When we think we're strong, when we think we know better than everybody else, and we try and take over where other people have been called to do, that's what he's doing. It's, again, his motives could have been sincere, but they were very sincerely wrong. His heart was in the wrong place. He thought, well, hey, I can do that. I've seen them do that. What's so hard about that? Why can't I do that? I'm the king anyway. What's so special about that? There's a lot of people who like being backseat drivers. It's so much easier to be the, uh, what they call the Monday quarterback, you know, after the play, to have hindsight, or, or to after the game to say, well, this is what they should have done. It's so easy to be a, a radio talking mouth, you know, uh, these uh, radio talk show hosts that just talk and talk and talk. You know, it's easy to just say in your mind there and have your, you know, following there. It's 
a whole other thing to try and get your ideas passed through a whole entire Congress and, and president signing and, and public opinion which changes and to be able to keep your position to be able to serve again and, and to understand and know all the different intricacies that are there in every single bill and every single thing that's taking place. And all the pros and cons, but it's so easy just to sit there on the radio and just condemn. So easy to play other people's position. That's what Isaiah is trying to do. King Saul in Yes, that's right. King Saul did. That's right. King Saul, the, the prophet uh, uh, Samuel, told him to wait a week and I will come and meet you at a certain place and I will offer up the sacrifice. King Saul got tired of waiting and his men started leaving because of fear of the other army and, and he panicked and he didn't wait on the Lord and then he offered a sacrifice. That's right. And that's where God then takes the kingdom away from him. That's right. So very serious to play a role that God has not called for us. A lot of people think it's easy to be the preacher. It's easy to be the teacher. It's easy to be a rabbi. I mean, he only works once a week anyway. You know? <laughs> and it's so easy. Well, I got a Bible too, so I can read the Bible also. I can expound on it also. And so there's a lot of people now today, they just get on the internet and they just send out, you know, whatever kind of wind of doctrine they want without looking at all the texts and all the intricacies of it and balancing it all out and everything that comes into play with it as well as when it was written and who it was written by and understanding the, the context and so many different things. People think it's so easy. Just play other roles. Instead of doing the role that God has called us to. Oh, it's so much easier to just say what other people should have been doing than doing what we should be doing. And that's his problem. He gets strong. And he thinks he can do what other people have been called to do. Very, very, very dangerous position to be in. As we saw, King Saul loses his kingdom as a result. And they tell him, get out of the sanctuary. Second Chronicles 26, verse 18. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Can't very bold, Azariah. Very bold. Very valiant speaks the truth, even to the king. Because that was his position, to speak the truth regarding spiritual things. Verse 19, Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. That's how close he got. He got into the sanctuary, went into the, the, the holy place. He picked up the altar, the, 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 uh, the uh, incense, the censer, and he's ready to burn it. And here as they're rebuking him and telling him that this is wrong, he doesn't relent. He gets furious. How dare you tell me what to do? I'm the king. I am strong. Pride is a horrible, horrible thing. And so maybe sometimes you might wonder, well, why you know, haven't I gotten the prosperity of riches? Why haven't I gotten the prosperity of knowledge? Why haven't I gotten the prosperity of lots of friends? Or whatever it is that you might be thinking you're lacking. And maybe because if we had those things, we'd get lifted up. And it would be our destruction. Which would be worse 
in the long run than not having those things for a short period of time here on this earth. Better for us to lay low and stay low. Humble before God. Stay low with God. And he will lift us up. And as he lifts us up, remain low before God. Always humble before God. He is king. He is Lord. He is master. He knows what's best. Follow his directions. Whether they make sense or not, follow his directions. Zion, 52 years as king. We don't know how many years into his reigning this happened, but it seems that it was pretty far into it. Because all these years, and at the very end, he blows it. Moses, almost 40 years in the wilderness, comes to the end, gets angry and hits the rock, and blows it. Don't blow it. Don't get proud. I've been walking this path with the Lord for so long, and I know more than others. And don't let pride come in. Very dangerous. That's what caused Lucifer's fall. One of the covering cherubs, covering angel. No doubt, one of the ones there covering the throne of God. Pride brought him down. Remain low. Remain humble before our God. So he gets angry. He gets angry at the rebuke. Proverbs, Solomon says, it's a blessing when a friend rebukes us. And these guys are rebuking him out of love and concern for him and for God, God's honor and God's sanctuary. He becomes angry at them for correcting him. No doubt he knew this. He was a godly man. No doubt he knew. He didn't try it any other time in his life. So he knew that was for them. They got my position. They got their position. Don't reverse the roles that God has for you. Be busy about what God has called you to do. Some of the last words that Yeshua said before his ascension, after his death, burial, and resurrection, then he meets with his disciples for 40, years, 40 days, and then some of the last words before he ascends. Step on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples, they decide to go back out fishing. They again mixed up their roles. They were no longer to be called fisher, fishers of fish. The God called them to be fishers of men. But they decide to go back to fishing, and they go back to fishing, and there's nothing. They're not catching anything. She was then sitting on the side in the morning, makes a little fire, and he's got some food somehow miraculously there waiting for them. He calls out to them. You caught anything? No, we've fished all night, no. Throw your net on the right side. They do, they catch a lot of fish. Peter then realizes it's Yeshua and John realize, and Peter comes running in. And then they were eating together. And Yeshua takes Peter for a walk. And as they're walking along the lake, Yeshua tells Peter how he's going to die, how he's to serve him, and how he's to feed the sheep, and how he's to 
tend to the lambs and always to feed the lambs. And then Peter looks around and he sees John following him. And Peter, as if God had already told him enough of what he needs to do, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend, keep my lambs, he's worried about John. And he turns around and he says, what about him? What about John? What's your calling for him? How is he going to die? And Yeshua says, don't worry about him. You follow me. Don't worry about other people. Don't worry about their blessings or their calling or their problems. You do what God has called you to do. Don't worry about their mistakes. Don't be a professional corrector. Do what God has called you to do. So Uzziah gets angry that he's rebuked in this way. Where he should have gotten humble. Where he should have apologized. Especially right there in the sanctuary. Where the forgiveness of sins is being brought out with the lambs being offered there pointing forward to the Messiah to come. Instead of repenting, he gets angry and furious. And while he was angry with the Kohanim, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the Kohanim in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. Wow. Now maybe if he didn't get angry, God in his mercy gave him a warning, 81 Kohanim coming at him, warning him, correcting him. If he would have humbled himself right then and there, Maybe the leprosy wouldn't have broken out. It doesn't break out until he gets furious with them. And while he was angry with them for doing their job, for correcting him, for doing what was right before God. When we do what's right before God, people who aren't following God are going to get angry at us. The devil is going to get angry at us. And problems will come into our lives because we are doing what is right before God. And the leprosy breaks out on his forehead. Fifty or so years serving the Lord, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord, humble before the Lord, prospering marvelously, helped by God. Fifty-something years plus the 16 years of life before he was king. So 66 or so years, blessed by God. Become strong. Don't ever become strong in your own eyes. Don't let your heart be lifted up. He gets angry, furious at correction. People don't like being corrected. I can imagine as they're correcting him, he's saying, mind your own business. Well, that is their business. <laughs> their business is to mind his business. The minister told me that once. He said he was correcting someone in the congregation, spiritual thing in their lives. He said, mind your own business. He said, that is my business. 
Your business is my business. Your spiritual walk with God is my business. Your life is, is my concern. What God has placed me here to do. But people don't like it. They didn't like it. Got furious. And leprosy breaks out on his forehead. Interesting, on his forehead. It could have been on his hands for him to see, but it says on his forehead. Or on the Kohanim, on his forehead, it says, Holiness to the Lord. On the mitre on his head. This is a sign of decay, death on his forehead. On our forehead where we, right behind our, in our frontal lobe, where we make our decisions. It was his decision, his choice. That's why alcohol is, and drugs are so dangerous because they, they blur the frontal lobe when we make our decisions. So it might be able to still drive or function, but we're not making right decisions. It lessens our ability to make conscious choices for or against God. And so on his forehead, his mind began to decay by him making wrong choices. His choices became corrupted. And God puts the leprosy on his forehead. Nazariah, the chief Kohanim, and all the Kohanim looked at the leprosy on his forehead. So they thrust him out of that place. And he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. And so I don't know how he saw it. Maybe he looked on the gold walls and he saw it or something, or somehow realized it and touching it. Somehow, they looked at it and no doubt the astonished look on their face stopped him in his tracks faster than their reproof. And they start chasing him out. Get out of here, you leper. And he begins to run as well. At that point, he realized how serious his mistake is. Oh, I think it was just one mistake. Here he was good for 66 years. One mistake. One mistake. Got Adam and Eve kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And no doubt this wasn't just a mistake. He willfully planned it. He thought about it. He no doubt knew what was right. And even when he was corrected, he resisted and rebelled and refused. And it's that type of sin, rebelliously held on to disobedience to God, will keep any of us out of heaven. That's what kicked Lucifer, again, a covering cherub, out of heaven. And will keep any of us out of heaven. Got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. Now, how severe is this? Is he hurting anybody? Did he kill anybody? Did he steal from anybody? Did he hurt anybody's feelings? No. But it's still sin against God. The magnitude of the sin is in the rebellion. Not so much the act. It's the fact of rebellion. And the more we know and the more we've had opportunity to know, especially in today, this country with the freedoms and the privileges we have and devices we have to read God's word and to know God's word, the opportunities are there, we will be held to a higher accountability. He's held to a high accountability because he had such blessings. And we have all been blessed with talents and gifts and freedoms. We will be held to a high accountability. 
So he rushes out of that place, even after 60-something years of serving the Lord and being blessed by the Lord. Stay low, stay humble before God. Run the race. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Don't mess up at the end. Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land because of his one sin. He didn't hit anyone. He hit a rock. His anger at the people, his pride, must I bring water out of the rock for you? Do I have to do everything? He didn't do anything. He didn't bring any water. He didn't bring manna. It was all God that did anything through him. He didn't part the waters. God worked through him. But he got, must I bring water out for you? He got angry, same like Uzziah. Wait upon the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And do what you've been called to do. And let others do what God has called them to do. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Sad. And in 52 years of serving as king, the Bible spends almost as many verses on this one act as it does on his 50 or something good years of serving the Lord. I don't know. It doesn't say whether or not he repented. We hope he did. Trust that he did. Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote. And so while he's a leper and in a secluded house, his son... Jonathan is reigning as king, as under king or co-king or whatever for a time period, so there's some overlapping there. We don't know how long. And then he eventually becomes full king at his father's death. So again, it seems that uh, it was towards the end of his life that this took place. And it mentions that uh, Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote down the things of Uzziah in the book of Isaiah, the, the portions that we have, and we have a lot of the book of Isaiah. We have 66 books, 66 chapters. Uh, Uzziah is mentioned once or twice, I think twice, maybe three times by name. I guess once that during, he prophesied during his time. But not a whole lot of Acts, and we'll see that. We're going to go into Isaiah here pretty soon as, as it overlaps with Uzziah and, and his son. Jothan. And Uzziah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of burial, which belongs to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. And in Jothan, his son reigned in his place. So they bury him with the kings, but it seems like they bury him in the field of the kings, not necessarily in the caves with the kings. Seems to be some kind of distinction there, because it says, for he was a leper. So in other words, they weren't able to bury him with all the rest of the kings, but somewhere near the kings, in the field of the kings, with his fathers and the other kings. It doesn't specifically mention whether he repented or not. 
weekend. We hope he did. But his leprosy stayed with him. And that legacy stayed with him. More than being, having his men being the inventors of the catapult or, or anything else. The legacy that stays is he rebelled against God, took a position that was not his, tried to play the role of the spiritual when he had the political, and he became a leper as a result. When our final book is written, and each and every day, our thoughts and our choices are being recorded in the books of heaven, what will be the final thing written about us? will be our humbleness before God and God's using us and blessing us marvelously and prospering us. What will be there? Will the mistakes that we've made and the wrong choices we've made be covered in the sacrifice of the Messiah, confessed and cleansed and washed off of the record books of heaven? What will the final record say? What will be said here on earth? After our time is finished and God has called us, have we done what God has called us to do? Or were we too busy worrying about what other people were supposed to do? So from whatever lessons God might have spoken to your heart tonight, if pride has been seeping in, trying to enter in, again, it's what brought Satan's downfall and it's something he constantly tries to get into the skin of each one of us. Lay low, surrender all pride. If you've gotten independent, surrender to God. If you are or have ever tried to do what God hasn't called you to do, to do what other people, do what God has called other people to do, confess that, surrender it. If you've gotten angry when reproved, surrender it. And accept God's calling on your life. And be about the Lord's business. Feed his sheep. Feed his lambs. Care for them. And don't worry about others. Be about the Lord's business. God's grace is there for us. His forgiveness has been poured out. The Messiah has already come. He's already laid down his life thus we can have forgiveness. We can surrender it all. He can give us a new life and place his blessings upon it. As we pray and move forward, may God give us meekness before him and strength before the world as we pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful for your mercy and your love, and we're thankful, Lord, for the record of this story. We're thankful for the brave Azariah and the 80 Kohanim who stood with him. Thankful for their willingness to stand by the right, even before the king. Lord, give us the wisdom and discernment when to stand and to speak up. Give us love and caring for those that You've called us to rebuke and correct. 
Lord, give us wisdom to know what our calling is and what our position is. Keep our minds focused on that and doing that by your grace and to the best of the abilities and talents that you have given to us. Lord, forgive us for straying into other people's business and other people's callings. Forgive us for rebellions against you. Forgive us for getting angry and furious at rebuke. Forgive us for pride. We want to humble ourselves and surrender ourselves to you. We want to bow before you and acknowledge we need your strength and your help in everything we do. And we want you to live in us, through us, make us strong in you, meek in you, prosperous in you. Use us in being a blessing to those around us. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.